I want to start my message this morning by sharing three quotes with you. I know that's always a risk. It's risky sometimes to get lost in the language of someone else's words, but I think they're important because how it sets up what I feel led to share. And that in part has to do with my continued thinking through that our world was created for us to be transformed and to evolve and to grow. That we were, God created our world in this way. And that that sometimes maybe our own frustration, our own stuckness, is because I have maybe failed to realize that and sometimes cooperate with that. John Ortberg is the first one. He's an author. Uh, Pastors out in California. And I won't rush through these to make sure we track what they're saying. But here's what he writes. The primary goal of the spiritual life is human transformation. It's not to make sure people know where they're going after they die or helping them have a rich interior life or seeing that they have lots of information about the Bible, although these can be good things. Let's put first things first. The goal, the first goal of the spiritual life is the reclamation of the human race. And then he says it's morphing time, which dates the book, 80s. But basically he says that. The primary goal of the spiritual life is human transformation. A.J. Sherrill is another author, and this is what he writes. The human experience is dynamic. It is not static. This means no matter how stuck we may feel, we are all capable of change. Breakthrough, development, evolution, call it what you like, but make no mistake, God is after, here it is again, the transformation of your whole life. And God invites us to stretch and expand ourselves. And the traditional word for this invitation is discipleship. See, and already he's setting this up and saying discipleship is more than just sitting in a classroom and absorbing content. Discipleship is more than just a book study. Discipleship is, his language, the transformation of your whole life. And then Thomas Gates, who's a wonderful Quaker writer. In the early years of the Quaker movement, spiritual transformation was the sin qua non, and I had to look that up, the absolute necessity of membership. For our first 90 years, there was no formal membership process, no recorded lists of members. One became a Quaker, not by meeting with a clearness committee, but by being convinced of the truth, capital T, through an experience of the transforming power of God, capital P. This in turn led to a, and here it is again, a transformed life. As manifested by the public keeping of the testimony, simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and then some. And then he adds, although there was no official list of members, everyone in the local community, quote, knew who was a member and who wasn't. Now he doesn't elaborate as to how they knew. But I kind of think they knew because of the way they lived this transformed life. You knew who was a Quaker and who wasn't. Or you knew who was someone who had devoted their life to living in this transformed way. Yesterday I posted a cartoon 
which I enjoyed. I don't know if others liked it as much because it kind of had a little bit of a, a point to it. But it looked like a group of folks sitting in a church committee meeting, and one of them offers these words to the pastor. She says, quote, we're hoping you'll lead us on a journey of transformation without requiring any real changes. <laughs> I'm so glad you laughed. <laughs> that sometimes a little bit of that kind of gets to the truth, and I'm right in there with you, by the way. I want transformation. I just don't want there to be any change. I want my life to be transformed. I just don't want to have to do anything different. I want my life to be transformed sometimes. I just don't want to have to do some of the heavy lifting that comes along with it spiritually. I don't want to have to get stuck. I like my stuck ways at times. Can't I just maybe tweak those a bit? Can I just make those look more spiritual? Transformation takes change. Now you're probably thinking this transformation stuff, it's all fine and good. It's probably all for the super disciples or the high achiever disciples. It's not just for me. I'm not capable. And I would respond this. We are. And you are. And the possibility and the capacity for transformation is for everybody. Because it's God's intent. It's God's desire. It's it's God's desire that everyone experience it. And transformation isn't just like another level of the spiritual life. Transformation is God's intent for all of life. All of it. For my life, for your life, for all of creation. In fact, transformation is built into the fabric of creation. And we see this in the words of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. And I'll read these. Quote, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride, prepared for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people, and he will live with them, and he will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will remove all of their sorrows, and there will be no more death. No more sorrow, no more crying or pain for the old world and its evils are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. What we have in this powerful five verses is literally God's intent, God's dream. We're given a glimpse, a vision. It's like we're getting a preview of coming attractions. This is what God is working towards. We are not there yet. But this is what God is working towards, working toward transforming humanity and the world. There will be no more death. God works toward that. There will be no more sorrow. God is working toward that. There there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. God is working toward that future. And the powerful piece about it is God invites all of us to be part of this. That's why our transformation is so key. That's why our transformation is so central, because it is a transformed people that participate with God to work towards this world in which there is no more pain, no more crime, no more sorrow. God's direction is always downward in a good way. God's direction is always towards humanity, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's what John says in his gospel. 
And when we read, when we hear the word and read the word saved, think transform, thinking, making all things new. God didn't enter our world in Jesus to catch us doing something wrong. I sometimes find that in people's theology. God entered our world in Jesus in order to help us get things right. It's sort of like working under a manager or a supervisor where you're constantly nervous that you're going to mess up. You're constantly nervous that you're going to get it wrong. You're constantly nervous that you're never going to do anything right. And so what happens is there's never any risks. There's never any freedom. There's never any peace or calm. And so I think sometimes we think that God entered our world in Jesus to catch us doing something wrong, but he entered our world to help us get things right. And this is grace. This is making all things new. This is this righteousness, this making things right of God. This is salvation and God entered our world in Jesus to show us the way. This way we can trust that leads to life. The way that we see in the life and the person of Jesus. This is the way that transformed the world. That invites us to trust this way because it's true and right. And when we live it faithfully, we will discover it gives us life. And in return, makes us feel alive. I, I think of the images I see of Jesus. Jesus always downward and toward humanity. Jesus kneeling to wash feet. Jesus emptying himself and journeys to the cross. Jesus comes to you and I. Jesus moves toward us and downward in Jesus. And he says, I am here to help you get things right in your life so we can get things right in this world. And all of humanity and creation can then be transformed. And the culmination of this, the ultimate sign of this new creation is The resurrection, that is making all things new and even death. And what happens in the resurrection, we are then told, we are then then proclaimed, but it is proclaimed that death is no longer the final word. Even death is defeated. Physical death, emotional death, um, the death of hope, the death of one's dreams, the death of possibility, all these kinds of death have been ultimately conquered through the resurrection, meaning there is hope. Meaning there is life, there is always life pulsating just below the surface, but always available, the energy of life, the energy of creation, the energy of something new is always right there. And I need to hear that because if I don't know that and trust it and believe it, there are some days and some weeks I'm not sure I could even go on. But that is the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection. And this presence of life and this energy of life is now present in our world through the presence of the living Christ, the one who is resurrected and alive with us. Take the Apostle Paul, for example. The living Christ encountered Paul. Paul encountered the living Christ, and it transformed his life. And the living Christ encountered him, and it transformed him from a murderer. It transformed him from a persecutor to one who championed the kingdom of God and championed the inclusion of all those who had ever been excluded and the Gentiles. And this is what I know to be true when I look at Paul and I look at the scripture. Authentic transformation always results in a heart that moves from exclusion to inclusion, from erecting walls and barriers to this breaking down of walls and barriers from hostility and distance to reconciliation and connection. In other words, authentic transformation always has to do with our relationships. It always has to do with how we are living in reconciliation with one another or how we aren't. How we are living excluded from others and how we are including others. 
And Paul knows this power. Paul knows this reality. Paul knows this transformation, and he preaches it, and he proclaims it, and he invites all of those he shepherds to open their lives to the same living reality and presence. And what is the outcome? Again, this outcome is human transformation and a spiritual journey that seeks to allow one's life to be continually formed, shaped, and renewed through the power and presence of the Spirit. And this, finally, is where the passage comes in that Deanna read. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind God will accept. When you think of what God has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Here's that language again. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's often been said that the word repent also means to rethink our lives. To be transformed is to rethink our lives under the guidance of the Spirit, to be open and responsive to the changes the Spirit seeks to bring to our lives. And this is to change in our everyday lives, the kind of change that's all about human transformation and living lives that reflect less the dominant culture and reflect more this presence of God. And you will find, as often as I do, that the more you open up your heart and soul to this rethinking of your life, the more you increase your sensitivity to the Spirit about the things in your life that need changing. And for me, this sensitivity feels like a very deep inner conflict until I'm willing to either let go or allow my life to be shaped and formed in the way that God's seeking to shape and form it. And when I let go, when I surrender, to use that language, when I begin conforming my actions to this direction of God's intentions for my life, and I begin to feel this deeper peace, this subtleness, this sense that I'm becoming the person God is intending me to become, and there's energy, and there's life, and there's a deep gratitude. Now, in your bulletin, I want to read one more passage. It's Romans 12, 1, 2, the message. It's at the bottom there on the right-hand side. It's actually a translation of this passage that Deanna read. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I did some math today, and the math is this. There are 168 hours in a week. Take out two of those hours for today, you have 166. Often the spiritual journey and transformation has been focused on just those two hours. We have a whole 166 hours that God wants to change and transform and renew and make different for you and for I. And it's in those hours that God says, I want to change. I want to transform. I want to make you different from the inside out. And here's what I do know is this. 
We live in a very toxic culture right now. We live in a very toxic, divisive culture. I wasn't sure I was going to go there, but I am going to go there. And the reason we need to be willing to listen and pay attention to that is because if you and I are not transformed within, we do nothing but add to that. Richard Rohr is a Jesuit priest who writes this. We will either transform our pain or we will transmit our pain. And to live untransformed lives and unchanged lives means that I am transmitting my pain more than I am transformed in my pain and giving the world something else. And so in this change, in this invitation in our everyday lives, we live in a very toxic culture right now. And so the question is, am I going to continue to breathe that in and exhale that? Or am I going to breathe in something different, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and exhale something different? Because again, Revelation tells us God is working towards a whole new, different kind of world and creation. That is God's intent. And God invites us to be part of that. And so what I realized for Scott Wagner, and this may sound kind of harsh, I'm either working with God or working against God. I'm either working with what God intends or I'm working against what God intends. I'm either participating with God or I'm sabotaging everything God is trying to do in this world. And I bring all this up to say this too. When we go into next month, and mentioned Quaker Up, Quaker October, whatever we want to call it, I would hope we would do this. We would listen to the history of who we are as friends. We would listen to our identity as Quakers. We would listen to the stories of Deep River Friends Meeting and the Quaker heroes. But we would listen in a way that takes us to this point. Early friends were transformed people who then transformed the world. Early friends were transformed people from the inside out who, through that transformation, felt the courage and the call to make this world a different place. Early friends were a transformed people through the Spirit of Christ that said God is up to something and we need to be part of that. In fact, I would say this. A lot of times they didn't say want, they just said we need I'm always leery of a prophet who wants to be a prophet. I'm always much more comfortable with a prophet who says, I can't say this, I don't want to say this. Early friends didn't want to. They wanted to keep their farms, they wanted to keep their comfortable lives. They wanted to keep doing what they were doing, but something pressed and pushed them into the pain and the sorrow of what God was trying to make new. And that's what I want us to This past um, Thursday, we had the blood drive and got to meet a few people and got to talk with them, people that I didn't know, just folks who willingly um, came and donated because they had heard about it and seen the signs. And I had this conversation with this one woman, and she says, I'm really lucky I found this place. I really? I said, how so? She says, you guys are hidden. I was like, really? We're hidden? I would have never thought. But her GPS, um, if she says, I hadn't had my GPS, I wouldn't have known where to drive in. I wouldn't have known where to go because we have the one sign there, 
but we don't have signs at the entrances. And she says, I just followed my GPS and it led me right in here. I said, well, thank goodness your GPS led you in here. But metaphorically, I got to thinking about that. We don't need to be hidden. Now, maybe we can do something logistically about that. But what I'm saying is, as friends and Quakers, we don't need to be hidden in this world. I need to be showing up in a way that says, the living Christ has spoke to my condition. It is transforming me. I need to do the heavy lifting. And now I need to discern where I need to show up in this world. I want to leave you with some queries and some questions. And then we'll just take some more time and listen. But these are some questions that I want us to maybe reflect on for a few moments. When we think about transformation, when we think about our own personal change. First one is this. Where do I feel a dislocation in my spirit? Where do I feel dislocated and needs realigned with God's intentions? Second, where do I feel far away from my true self, who God has created me to be, who God has invited me to be? Third, where is God seeking to bring the best out of me? And then finally, what pain in my life needs healing and transformed so I don't transmit it?